Voice of Fintech. The InsureTech series by Voice of Fintech is brought to you by the House of InsureTech Switzerland, HITS. HITS is a Generali company that spun off in December 2019. It all started in 2017 when Generali Switzerland opened the Innovation Garage to experiment with its Corp Up approach, a corporate and startups co-creating customer-centric solutions together. The success of the Innovation Garage led to the birth of HITS in order to offer innovation as a service not only for Generali, but also to other corporates. HITS envisions to be a leading insurtech hub by shaping and nurturing partnerships between corporates and startups to accelerate and scale corporate innovation. If you would like to learn more about HITS, please go to www.houseofinsurtech.ch. You can also follow HITS on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk about the CorpUp, or corporate and startup collaboration in the insurance sector. And we're going to talk to Stefano Bisson, who is the Group Head of Business Development and Partnerships at Generale in Italy, and a board member of HITS, House of Insurtech Switzerland, and Oliver Vernea, who is the CEO and a co-founder of Imbers, one of the participants of Generale Garage, now called HITS. Welcome uh, to Voice of Fintech podcast. and. Uh, I'll start with a bit of introduction from both of you, and then uh, we may have a bit of a debate about how do you work with startups uh, from the corporate side and vice versa. Stefano, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get to do what you do today? Absolutely. Thanks a lot, first of all, for, uh, for inviting me. It's an interesting question. It's, uh, I'll try to make it uh, as short as possible. I'm uh, an ex-banker and ex-strategy consultant. Um, I, my last company before Generali was Boston Consulting Group. Uh, over the years, I got passionate about uh, innovation and, and startups. And I think this has something to do with, my, with the fact that I'm pretty impatient. I started investing and supporting startups on a personal basis, almost as a hobby at first. I eventually funded a venture accelerator with some friends, which I recently left. And, and in all honesty, I got completely caught into it. At some point, uh, I had a different role in Generali, and I found uh, the space and the opportunity to, to transform this passion of mine uh, into a real job, if I can say so. And, uh, and now I am, uh, I am leading the team taking care of uh, business development and partnership at group level. And, uh, and I'm also uh, a board member of HITS, which I represent today. Um, of course, I feel uh, hugely privileged I mean, I, I, I can do the job I love. I mean, I transform the passion in a, in a job, as I said. And doing a corp up or, or, or a corporate startup in a company like, uh, like mine is like uh, standing over the shoulders of the giant. So it's, uh, it's really great. Great. I just wanted to pick up on one thing. You said you liked innovation because you're impatient. And I actually thought always that it was the other way around, that uh, people who do innovation are patient because, uh, you know, it takes a long time until something bears fruit. So how does that reconcile with the, with the innovation? Or is it because you, you want to have a big impact quickly, which you don't have in a, in a large ship? Correct. Correct. I mean, moving uh, the transatlantic of a few degrees uh, can take a quite a, quite a long time if you if you do the stuff not uh, in the innovation way, and uh, you know innovation is uh, is the lever 
that allows uh, big companies like ours uh, to move much quicker. So it depends on on the lens you look at it, on the on the cycle that uh, that you put yourself in. For me, innovation is is the way to make things uh, quicker. But I see your point absolutely. Right. Okay. I get it now. So. Oliver, uh, welcome. I understand that you describe yourself on your LinkedIn profile as a serial entrepreneur, innovator, thought challenger, developer, and, and or or an optimist. So how does that fit all together? So yeah, about my LinkedIn profile, um, you know, th- those are all things I, I learned about myself and my journey from like through entrepreneurship as well as the corporate life. I actually joined the entrepreneur life at a very early age at 16 i started my first company very much out of personal sort of uh, impatience i wanted to play computer games in the cheap and the only way you can buy cheap computer stuff is by buying wholesale that's how i actually created my first company and grew a computer sales business out of that and i used actually the money from that to fund my my university and that I really got from my father, who's always had his own companies. I then uh, spent several years in corporate uh, within insurance and reinsurance um, across the world, South Africa, UK, and Switzerland, landing always within technology and strategy and innovation topics where I realized you always deal with really great topics, a view of the future, you always build towards cool stuff, and always find it like a much more positive and optimistic environment to work in. And now I find myself on the entrepreneurial track again, heading up a startup working with large corporates. So Oliver, you have founded your latest venture, Inburst, nearly five, five years ago. What is it? What do you do? What is the problem that you're trying to solve? And, and also, why is it worth solving? And why now? So the funny thing is we actually didn't start out to try and solve this problem. We actually were one of the first flight tracking apps on the App Store. And, and that is what we actually started with. And dealing with insurance to deploy sort of flight delay insurance capabilities we realized we needed um, real-time payment capabilities for the clients when, you know, when they're delayed at the airport. And then sure, at that point, who we were working with was not able to deliver that operationally. And it turned out it would have taken like half a million dollars and 15 months to deploy, which was not approved internally. And they said, look, if you want real-time payments, you have to find a way of doing that without touching our core IC system. And really in that moment, Inverse was born without us knowing, but we were desperate to have a business model as a startup and went away and built what we thought was going to be a temporary solution. And when we came back to the insurer with this temporary solution, um, which was three months later, they actually wanted to buy that software solution because we had solved in three months for zero what they couldn't do in 15 months for half a million dollars. So the problem we identified then after spending more time is that for many large organizations, the variety of payments is not a problem. There's probably a provider or a technology that serves every business need. And companies themselves have a lot of initiatives, you know, greenfield project, existing optimizations, better customer engagement, cost reduction, you name it. The problem is in integrating these two worlds. And as many people will know in corporate enterprise, touching a core IT system is very expensive and takes very long. So what we do is we solve just that integration problem. So we give companies integration-free access to the entire global payments ecosystem. And now more than ever, I mean, even before coronavirus, companies were forced to deploy new products, new functionality in faster times than ever before. And hence, right now, companies really need us to deploy this capability. All right. So we're talking about real-time payments or reimbursements and the B2B platform, right? 
It's, it's any payment you can possibly imagine because that's part of the pain point for organizations. If you look at somebody like a Generali or a large insurer, payments for them is many things. It's collecting premium, paying out claims, but accounts payable, accounts receivable, treasury, paying employee salaries, expense program, reward payments. Those are all forms of payments which require different vendors, different integrations. And we basically bring this down into sort of a a central service where for collection or payout, you can access any technology to solve any payment topic in your organization. And that drives significant operational and finance savings. All right, understood. So, but there are many B2B platforms out there, right? Or payment platforms. So what is your unique advantage? Why are you better than the others? Well, we're quite different in that we only care about the integration problem with the large enterprises. So our our client is the enterprise, be it the insurer or the bank, and solving the integration problem. The other B2B payment solutions you see are what's traditionally known as gateways or PSPs. You know, they aggregate, but they aggregate on behalf of the payments world. So you can access some payment types, but you have to pay their fee. You cannot freely choose who processes your payments. Um, and they don't cover all topics, right? So they don't, they often cover credit card or digital payments, but they don't cover interbank systems for your treasury totals. They don't cover payout as much. Hence, we are quite unique in that we cover the payment topic holistically for enterprises, not on a piecemeal basis. Stefano, uh, turning on to, over to you. Where do you where do you see startups and how do they fit into your partnerships? Right, often insurers have a partnership team and they focus on distribution. But how does that fit into uh, open innovation topics and what does Corpa mean to you? Let, let me first uh, explain quickly what, uh, uh, what the, the remit of what we do, so that it's easier to to make startups fit in. So. In fact, as you said, uh, we are the team of business development and partnership. Uh, as such, uh, and to make things uh, much easier than, than they are in real, uh, we, we strive to find the new business opportunities on the product side or new distribution channels or reinventing our, our value chains for clients. So everything we do has a, has a strong industrial point of view or industrial rational, if you want. So we always try to add pieces of a value chain or services or capabilities to what we already do. Uh, so we're quite different, let's say, from a traditional uh, innovation team. Uh, and uh, right. you know, uh, as you said, we are, we are, uh, we are, we are the partnership team. Um, as such, we are completely counterpart agnostic. So as long as the partner passes our thorough vetting process, uh, and, and demonstrates itself excellent from uh, all point of views, the quality of the product, uh, the team, uh, the, the funding solidity, etc. Uh, we, we are happy to, to work and partner with them. So we move from the big GAFAs, for example, or big technology company to early stage startups. Uh, as you probably know, I mean, this is, uh, the, the, this is normal stuff for anybody who, who deals with innovation and, and knows the Christensen's innovation, innovator's dilemma. Uh, uh, very often, uh, in all honesty, the most uh, innovative propositions and capabilities are found uh, in startups uh, and not in the, in the big companies. And big companies, in fact, uh, keep buying startups to keep innovating. So that's, that's part of the game. Uh, open innovation, back to your question, is, uh, is our way to, to make uh, 
this uh, continuous scouting uh, effective and efficient uh, also from uh, from a cost perspective so our uh, our partners help us in scouting and sourcing the best uh, startups um, in in the world because we cover the the whole uh, the whole world in 50 plus geographies and uh, and let's say let us access them uh, in a in a quickly manner corpap uh, is instead our very last uh, um, test, if you want, because we are pretty new on that, uh, and Hits was born uh, specifically to 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 boost our our corporate efforts, and uh, it's the way through which we are uh, we're increasing uh, the intensity of relationship with startups, and focusing not only on you know finding something that fits our need or solves our pain points, as Oliver said before. But uh, it's really like uh, an environment, a milieu where we can uh, build quickly and together with a startup innovating unique selling proposition uh, with a good uh, product market fit. So something that really makes sense for the market, but uh, in, a, in, a, in, a quick, uh, in a quick way, as quick as possible, at least. All right. And you mentioned that uh, these startups or large technology vendors uh, you know, you're agnostic uh, who they are. They need to fit in somehow to your business, right? Uh, there are some companies who are a bit uh, more relaxed about it. There are some others who are very strict. It has to fit into their current business rather than to Horizon 1, 2, 3, etc. So where where are you on this? How loose or tight connection between a startup and your business there has to be so that you engage with them? The connection has to be tight, indeed. We are very, I can say, pra- pragmatic, maybe. So we are really looking forward uh, to work with startups that are ready to solve uh, our pain points today. This is, I think, a peculiarity of Generali. So we are really, really pragmatic. At the same time, uh, you mentioned the, the famous Three Horizons uh, there's a part of our portfolio, which is, I don't know, probably something like 20 to 30% that is more in the late horizon to early horizon three environment. So in that case, we are happy to, to risk a bit more. So the connection or the adjacency with our business can be lower. Uh, we can live with that. Uh, of course, we need to, to keep looking at, uh, at KPIs no? because... Quite often, I'm thinking about you know the more innovative technologies like blockchain, etc. Just for the sake of example, quite often you can uh, you can end up uh, in, in roads that are sort of never-ending promise. And uh, as I said, uh, we are really looking for something that solves problems and uh, ultimately makes business. Also, we are not here to test forever. Let's put it in this way. I hope I was clear in the message. Oh, understood. So, why did you partner up with uh, with Inverse? Uh, Inverse is uh, is the perfect case actually because uh, they were ready. The, the team is uh, is uh, incre- incredibly strong, and I'm not saying it because Oliver is here listening, of course. But uh, uh, no, he's a serial entrepreneur. Uh, the, the the company is solid. Uh, they have uh, a, a fantastic, a really amazing technology for managing any for any form any technical form of payment which is their core at the same time payments uh, they they make a lot of for us i mean they're they're really important they are often a pain point uh, also in some moments of truth for the client uh, such as uh, paying out claims no but uh, they are not at the core of our business so 
it makes really little sense from a strategic point of view for us to develop something that goes in that direction besides the fact that i uh, i have some difficulties in thinking that uh, we can put a team there and create something like uh, uh, oliver did so you see, I mean, there's something that is not at our core, so it doesn't make really a lot of sense to, to keep inside or build ourselves. And we have a perfect partner that uh, that is uh, very advanced in that. So the, the synergic relationship works very well. And uh, the, the play that we envisage with them are, are two, incremental. Uh, the first one is, of course, on efficiency for us and, and scale for them, which is the typical uh, supplier-provider uh, relationship if you want and the second one which we are also trying to to achieve right now it's uh, building together the corpac example i mentioned before building together new services so smart savings or micro savings uh, uh, actually in partnership also with a second startup uh, um, so it's a it's a sort of a menage a trois that uh, we are building with two different startups and uh, i mean there's there's really good hopes uh, to make it work and Oliver, from your perspective, why did you choose Generali Innovation Garage, which is now HITS or House of Introtech? I've had quite a bit of a history with Generali and innovation. So in my previous job, I was at Swiss Re and actually indirectly involved in some of Generali Switzerland's early innovation activities as like an outside party. And I was always very inspired by what they're trying to achieve, you know, in terms of incremental change, but also transformational change. So when it was time, you know, for me to really look for corporate partners, because that's really important to us as a startup, is not to be on a mission to build our own technology, but build a technology that people want to buy and pay for, right? In the end, as a company, you need to grow <laughs> as well. And what companies like us need help with is to understand the business model and where the corporate sees the value and where not. And one of the reasons we love being here and working with Generali is because there is this open um, sort of engagement and clear sharing of what needs to be solved. We can build a lot of things around payment, which look amazing, but are of zero use. And this is something we have really not found to be the case here by having this close proximity, close engagement and close partnership, both on a short term as well as longer term nature. We really get to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and, and know how we can work together to really to, to address those. And that's why we, we love being here. We love staying here. And we learn every week you know, about corporates and their and uh, well, I turn to the, to the real, tough reality because I liked what uh, Stefano said about the benefits of uh, open innovation for startups and incumbents. For incumbents, it's efficiency. And for startups, it's gaining scale. And when I talked to some some uh, other incumbents, they told me like, you know, KPIs, are you crazy? These are startups, you know, you cannot uh, ask them to report KPIs. Well, obviously, I didn't mean 1500 KPIs of, uh, that are suitable for a mature company, but you need to have some milestones, right? So how do you measure success of your partnerships, especially with the startups, Stefano? It's a very good and difficult question at the same time, Rudy. So <laughs> it depends. I mean, the, the, the answer is that it depends on the, on the stage of, uh, of the partnership. No? Um, you can be in a POC phase where uh, we are definitely more qualitative. So I see what, uh, what you were saying before. So we uh, evaluate somehow the culture of fit, uh, the quality of the team, their technical readiness, because you know at the beginning they always 
sell themselves a lot. And then when you start developing together, you see if they are really ready and up for running or not. At the POC phase, let's say, if I can simplify, we look a lot at their capability to be agile, which I cannot measure from a KPI perspective. But uh, you have some derivatives, such as uh, you know the time to market of the POC, the respect of timelines, and the respect of budget. Uh, if you move in an MVP phase, then you can have some first uh, uh, some first KPIs no? on the on the quality of the process. So if there are dropouts in the process, or uh, you know the conversion rate and these kind of things, and the quality of the product they they've been developed. And, and of course, when you when you go scale when you go in uh, in scale up phase, so you go in production, you industrialize. Uh, or you even bring, which is the hope and what we are trying to do also uh, with uh, with Oliver and Inverse, uh, when you try to, when you try to to bring them in uh, in different countries, then it's when uh, you really start measuring KPIs. And uh, for any partner, as I said before, startup or not, uh, we value, for example, MPS and customer satisfaction metrics, cost savings. So mm-hmm. you do the inertial. You know, simulation of what would have been without uh, what is today new revenue searches. If it's a if it's a new service or a, or product proposition, so it's possible to have some selective KPIs. I agree. You don't have to overflow the startup uh, with measurement because their job is uh, is solving your problem and not measuring what uh, what you are at, are you achieving but uh, say at the same time uh, if i can simplify massively we typically look uh, in my team for what we do more at top line uh, kpis uh, and customer satisfaction ones rather than bottom line ones right and oliver from your perspective how would you define a success when you partner up with uh, with an incumbent for us it's actually relatively easy it's getting the contract signed and getting the contract extended so it's, um, anybody who knows dealing with large enterprises knows that it's like 80% of the work is getting the first version signed and agreeing on the KPIs. And while you have to identify the KPIs, it's actually committing a, an organization to see enough value to form a contractual engagement with you. So, that I mean, that's purely our first measure. Uh, secondly, to meet the KPIs is obviously very important, but our experience with that is those are often very well defined. And as long as they're in within scope of actually being able to be delivered, and these are not always the, the really problematic topics. Now, defining the KPIs is people should spend more time defining good KPIs because when you deal with innovation, people love having lofty ambitions. And that's great for running and scaling a startup, but it's not so good for POCs and contracts. Because if you're not clear on it, rather be crystal clear on three, four KPIs and hit all of them than have like seven or eight wishy-washy KPIs that seem very ambitious and nice. Um, and once, once you then conclude the, um, the POCs, uh, the really critical bit is, have you provided enough value that a company says, I cannot live without this? So if you want to start a POC that you are not convinced would convince a company eventually to go big, then there's no point doing the POC because then you'll jump from one POC to another. 
Right. And but do you have the KPIs for your corporate partners as well? In other words, sometimes the startups are saying, well, you know, we partner up with them, we signed this, we did the POC sometimes even for free or at cost, and they promised us to open the doors. And that's what Stefano talked about, you know, helping them, helping startups to scale up. And uh, then they didn't. So do you also force your partners to uh, to deliver to you on your objectives or how does that work? Yes, indirectly. So we, for example, never do a free POC because either you value from the beginning, either I can produce value or I cannot. If I have to sell my product for free, there is nothing compelling somebody to eventually do this at scale. It's just not for our B2B enterprise solution is not a viable model because you also set a problem with that pricing from the beginning. If somebody got something for free for a while, why should they pay later? And now some people might find that harder. There are many deals we then don't get. The companies have said, then I cannot start the project. But therefore, the quality of our engagements are higher. As companies are committing value, they can push us harder to deliver and hold us to a much higher standard because we got paid. At the same time, they also put more effort in to make it a success. They put money in. And if you agree on the KPIs, um, then a successful delivery and moving a POC to a SaaS agreement, that is all the KPIs we are focusing on right now. And us as a startup, to be able to go back to our investors um, is all about, are we getting companies to sign multi-year agreements? They don't care about POCs, to be honest. And thus, that is really our target KPIs. And if I can echo what Oliver was saying, I think it makes a perfect sense uh, also on our side. I mean, I always try to push uh, our management or our business unit leaders to pay for POC to demonstrate that they have some skin in the game. And uh, at the same time, we also monitor the time it takes us to convert an initial discussion in an agreement. Uh, not necessarily a SaaS one, but... You know, sometimes we're a bit worried about discussion that goes too long. It means that probably the, the issue that we have to solve is not a burning platform. Hence, uh, I typically push to move on to the next one. Right. But you have to be committed to say no sometimes as well. So uh, do, do you have enough people who say no quickly? This is a very difficult question. In, in all honesty, I would say it depends. It depends on... Uh, business unit on the phase uh, uh, of maturity that the management has on these topics. Some other times there's actually more people say no than the one you need because, you know, you need some risk-taking uh, capacity and, uh, and attitude in working with startups in these cases. So at the same time, I mean, you, you don't want too many no's. <laughs> also true, also true. So when we take a step back and look at the innovation in the insurance, uh, what are the key fo uh, focus areas that you see both Stefano and Oliver going forward? And also, have you seen any changes or change of priorities impacted by COVID? Because that obviously has a direct link to insurance sector as well. If you want, I can I can start, Oliver. On the core, on the core, I think all major incumbents are are trying to defend their relationship with the client. They're a bit worried about uh, being disintermediated. So all of them, as included with our lifetime partner strategy, are trying to to focus our efforts uh, on customer interaction and on say making. Uh, 
all experiences of clients with you as uh, memorable as possible. Uh, there's, there's, of course, other trends that we keep seeing. Uh, one is the, the well-known uh, uh, digital or direct channels, you know, Limonade arriving in the EU, and ultimately it's the news of yesterday filing for IPO. I think it's a, it's a good KPI of what's going on. From a product perspective, there is instant insurance that is a growing trend. Although my personal belief is that it will be kept, uh, kept uh, restrained to some products, uh, mostly small ticket products. Uh, another big trend I see is, uh, is the world of B2B2C or, or ecosystems. In this case, we talk about contextual insurance, so selling uh, while you do something else. I think Pingan is providing a good example of what will be the future. And I'm pretty convinced that what we are seeing there will soon happen uh, in, in, the Western, uh, in the Western economies as well. And uh, I mean, all this is being accelerated by technology that is uh, literally everywhere. So if you think about AI and machine learning, I mean, now you find pieces of this in every step and every piece of the value chain, underwriting, claims, ops. So this is massively available with costs that are going down day by day. Uh, regarding COVID, uh, I, I think uh, we mentioned it uh, in our previous discussion, Rudy. COVID has been uh, ten, 10 times a stronger enabler than any other CEO strategic plan for uh, digitally transforming the, the insurance companies. Is the real burning platform for digitalization. I don't think it's going to massively, I mean, it's, it's, it's really like a bet, eh? but I don't think it's going to massively transform the future is probably going to accelerate the trends that were already that were already there. Just one point that maybe it's going to be could be disrupted is the relational models of uh, of traditional channels which are suffering already. Actually agent channels at least in core uh, core European markets are suffering less than banking ones for example, but in any case I really believe that we will have to reposition our agency networks uh, on more value-adding activities and taking away operational activities from, from their tables and, of course, uh, enable them with uh, collaboration tools and possibility to deal remotely with clients. Last but not least, I think uh, that COVID also has put quite a lot of pressure on, uh, on startups, and I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to hear from Oliver what he sees uh, in, in, the, in the startup environment because it's narrowing massively the funnel. So. Venture capitalists are saying that top and bottom quartile will be farther than ever. There will be much more selectivity and attention to fundamentals from investors. This means that there will be a kind of, of Darwinian selection, which is typical of any crisis, in all honesty. No? But the stronger will be stronger. Also, thanks to the amount of available dry power, fiscal benefits, low interest rates, uh, and the weak startups, I fear they will disappear quite quick because uh, everybody is attentive to to fundamentals and we are as well so there's a bit less space for too much innovation or uh, or too much risk on this yeah i think sort of to continue there like what we see from our side of the fence in terms of innovation in insurance is actually as technology is becoming in some areas really strong for example ai machine learning which really sort of starts affecting sort of underwriting and specialist underwriting and all the insights and targeting customers you have to sort of become a super expert in all of that and it goes to the point is where does an insurance company focus and they really 
are strong when it comes to underwriting and customer sort of servicing customer needs and understanding the financial ecosystem. What is not core, although it has to work, is some of the infrastructure components. Um, as Stefano says, why must uh, you know generally needs payments to work, but they don't want to build a payment infrastructure. And there's many other such cases. So we see a quite a significant transformation on an operational level. And I mean this conceptually, how COOs and CFOs are thinking about where am I deploying my capital to build expertise and where do I buy solutions? And that comes hand in hand with the pressure in the industry to reduce costs and modernize system, right? Also from the shareholders to now return value. You know, some insurer companies are really struggling with their expense ratio. And this obviously plays very much into our hands as we are on the core side. Now, in terms of what Stefano alluded to here is, I think is what you see reflect now from an investment perspective. Companies were very engaged on the innovation topic, both in fundamentals and in aspiration. So things like AI and stuff, it's, it's very aspirational, but there's no proven 100% value yet. It's something everybody's working towards. Now, when COVID came through, in most large companies, all non-essential projects were put on hold. And only those that were inward looking that says, can you reduce costs? Can you increase efficiency? Can you help us deliver in a shorter period than ever before stuff we thought we had years to do? And this is where I think is massive selection. Apart from being in travel, you could just be unlucky. But within even financial services, if you are in certain verticals, you are just pushed to the outside and have to wait. And that makes it very hard for startups. And those who are at the core, and it comes back to our original question, are you adding true value that a company can bank and show? Then you will be okay now because that is what they're looking to do. Can I go back and show I've reduced the cost, which can lead to me having to let go of less people or bring more value to my customers? And what you see now, actually, Stefano, is an interesting perspective. The actual capital available for investment has not really changed in the last three months. But you have verticals that have disappeared that nobody invests in at the moment, like travel, hospitality. It's too much risk. And within the verticals that are active, they've taken away the super crazy companies and said to those who are, as you mentioned in the middle, providing just some solid performance, just something to believe in, have some fundamentals and move. You now have all the capital previously available on maybe 40% of the companies. So what you see now is like a massive battle of capital that needs to be deployed because also the investors are running out of investment time horizons. They only have the money for so long and then they have to return it. So actually for those companies that are okay or, or good, just seems so much better and are attracting a lot of capital and everybody else, no matter how great your team is and how hard you work, and that's the sad part really, is you're out. It really is no reflection on you as a team. It's just how the market has moved completely against it. Understood. I mean, the 2020 obviously hasn't panned out uh, as we expected probably on January 1st. So if you have any visibility, what are the plans for you for the rest of the year and the years after, Stefano and Oliver? So for us, uh, what we keep saying uh, with our with our top management and what uh, our CEO keeps reminding us is keeping pushing on our strategy, on the one we committed to the markets and on our priorities like there's been no pandemic almost. So we need to recover the lost ground of last month. Of course, there's been some inflection in sales. 
but uh, yeah, we, we are lucky because we can take full advantage of uh, the financial liquidity solidity of our group. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the probably most solid uh, groups uh, insurance-wise uh, or worldwide. We are, we are really sitting on, on super strong routes. Uh, we have uh, technical excellence across the board and across line of business. So I think we are really... Uh, we are really set up uh, in a way that allows us to be resilient over crisis. So we keep pushing, we keep innovating, we keep looking for the best partners are there and, uh, and ameliorating uh, our, our value proposition for our clients. Of course, uh, uh, soon, uh, very soon, in a, in a few months, we will start drafting our new strategy uh, for, for the next cycle. And we will see in which direction our priorities will evolve or potentially shift. I've, I've got some hypotheses, but are mine and not uh, the, the group ones. So right. it's probably a bit too early to say, given the level of uncertainty we are, we are living in these weeks and months. And you, Oliver, how does that look like for you? For us, as we are in the fortunate position that we, are, we have done well during the corona times, it's all about scaling the team. So as we have had many projects come in at this time, and have a lot in the pipeline. We also have a good visibility on all the stuff that our clients need, which require us to invest heavily into certification. Um, so we have, and in several countries, we have regulator exemptions, but you know, if ISOs, PCI, all of that really build a solid base for companies to work with, as well as capacity in the team. Because when it comes to scale, scale is nothing without delivery, you know, and you get uh, a very can get a very bad reputation very quickly amongst corporates if you don't deliver. And that's really our priority is scale the capacities and sort of invest into the certification that we are just ready to be a really powerful partner for enterprises. Right. And uh, where can interested parties reach you, find out more about you and what kind of people would you like to hear from most, uh, Stefano and Oliver then? Well, my side, the easiest is uh, is LinkedIn. I think uh, I'm always open and and looking for uh, for reach outs. Just just hoping that uh, that they are quite on the spot. So anybody who has a good idea on uh, how to announce uh, our insurance propositions, our value chain, and can pitch quickly why they could be better than others, I'm always absolutely happy and available. Great. I think personally, connect with me personally, the best would be to do via LinkedIn. In terms of the company, you know, we're looking to connect with uh, especially CFOs, COOs, and, and sort of strategy leads that are looking to either improve their existing business or looking how to move their business into the future on an operational level. And do this. And there I would recommend the website where you can also find out more about our solution and have all the contacts available on our website. Great. Well, thank you and good luck to Generali and Imbers. Thank you very much. This episode of InsureTech series by Voice of FinTech was brought to you by HITS, the house of InsureTech Switzerland. HITS is the innovation core up hub focusing on the InsureTech sector bringing corporates and startups to develop customer-centric solutions. HITS creates the perfect environment to make innovation happen with early-stage investors and partners from the insurtech sector. If you would like to learn more about HITS, join us at one of our insurtech breakfasts every second Friday of the month. Happy to grab a virtual coffee with you.